I can't take this anymore. I'm losing my mind. I feel like I have the weight of the world on my shoulders and all of these expectations to fulfill. On top of that, someone is stalking me, and I don't know who. It seems like I can catch a glimpse of him out of the corner of my eye every once in a while, and it seems that recently, he's been getting closer and closer. I don't know what's real anymore, and what's just in my head. I really want out of here, but I have to give the fans what they want. I want to hear you scream. It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We'll tear your soul apart. Podcast. Hello everyone, this is Podcast of the Dead, the podcast about all things horror-related. I'm Zach Palmer, sitting next to me is Isaac Wright, Hello. and joining us from The Void is Chrissy Beetle. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> tell I've been at work around some Londoners. Nice. The shit we get. <laughs> Oh, God, nah. no, uh, pip, pip, cheerio, and that. Yes, yes, what, what? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> the most stereotypical British things I can Yeah, they just, all <laughs> the UK fans have just tuned out. <laughs> they're just, they're gone now. Uh, can, so, I, can I insult the Americans, too? Yes. Okay. Uh, howdy, y'all. What's going on? America guns, cheeseburger, apple pie. We put kids in camps. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. And now we're, like, feeding them, uh, like, psychotics. Uh, anyway. What? Uh, yeah, I don't know if you heard that yet. I haven't heard yeah. that. I heard about them like sitting in their own feces and stuff, and one of the Democratic lawmakers took uh, someone to task about yeah, that. Yeah, they're, fe- they're like- feeding kids psychotics now. For it's what? It's like literal torture. It's like to, like I guess, uh, um, pacify them? I don't know. It's, I, I, I do not know. Jesus they Christ. want food. No, we give them drugs and Which stuff. costs more. Think how much money they're spending to like do that, as opposed to just giving them n- normal supplies. I don't know. I don't know if that's if that's news news. Uh, I I don't know if that has. I, been yeah, verified. I don't think we want to get into a huge political conversation. I mean, it's yeah. horror news. Yeah, it, it is horrifying. It is literal fucking horror. Yeah, yeah. it is horrifying. Um. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we went. And we took a we turn. We started like, this <laughs> episode depressing. <laughs> yeah, that works actually because this. Movie is depressing. Oh yeah, it made me sad. It is. It is a depressing movie. Um, well, but it's good that we we keep people up to date with the horror that's happening at the southern border of the U.S. Uh, but now we're going to talk about some unrelated horror, horror news. news. So spooky, y'all. <laughs> so uh, this Halloween thing. Uh, can you explain that to us, Chrissy? Because you said it, and then I was just like, wait, what? I, and then I, it's 7 I o'clock can, here again. Sort of. Okay. So, John Carpenter confirmed it. After 2018 by David Gordon Green's Halloween. Shit, all that rhymed. Fuck. I'm <laughs> um, he, they are doing two new sequels, and that will apparently be the end of this saga. You have Halloween Kills in 2020. It's a stupid fucking name. 
<laughs> yeah, it's really fucking stupid. I was gonna and... wait until they were done to criticize it soundly. <laughs> and Halloween ends in 2021. It's a stupider fucking Those name. <laughs> sound like working titles, is what I was going to say. Because Halloween Kills is stupid because Halloween's not the killer. Halloween is the holiday in which the murders happen, not like the... Per- it, it doesn't make sense. No, How- his name is Halloween! <laughs> <laughs> when, no, see... And you play a Zelda, Legend Zelda. That's the thing, <laughs> you've seen... You, you watch the Bye Bye Man, stupid <laughs> titles are in fucking fashion. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I hope that's not the actual title, but if it is, whatever. It will probably be the stu- the fucking title, and I'll still see it because I enjoyed Halloween 2018. But yeah, I know I hate the title of that. I, this is kind of off topic, but I know I hate the title of the new Malef- Maleficent movie. Oh, because uh, during the credits they, or during the trailer, they always play Season of the Witch. So I think the name of the movie is going to be Maleficent. Season of the Witch, and then it's not, and I'm like, what the fuck was the point then, assholes? Season of the Witch should be, it should yeah, have been I the know, subtitle it's such a good movie. name for a Maleficent movie. Fuck you guys. Oh, well. <laughs> like they, I said, kind of off topic, not really horror, but... Maybe because they knew a lot of conservative Christians watch Disney stuff, and they're just like, we don't want to include witchcraft. She's in a the, witch! In the title. She's a fairy. No, she's a sorceress. You're a fairy. They 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 call her a fairy. It's different. <laughs> to be fair, Dis- I haven't seen Maleficent, Disney. but D- Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Disney. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. Sorry, went off the rails with Disney. Don't. I. We shouldn't talk about them. We should. We should. We should we'll not give soon. them more airtime. Yeah, we should than boycott all thought need. of Disney. Uh, oh <laughs> yes. So I. There's a few episodes ago now that we talked about that they they released a Blu-ray of the of Batman the Animated Series and Which now is like can... eighty dollars. Yeah, but it's four seasons. I know that makes sense. I don't have money. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 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 but now they're also and we had talked about when we talked about that we were like why why won't they do a Batman Beyond Blu-ray with Return of the Joker and now they are. Yeah, they listened so that's to really us. Good. They yeah. they heard us. The FBI. Uh, just sure. listen to it. <laughs> we screamed into the void and they've answered the call. Oh, it's the NSA. Thank you. Not the FBI that listens to phone calls. Shut up! <laughs> Shut the fuck up with your well actually ass. <laughs> you motherfucker. Attack on Titan's really good anime. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, all I care about is they're bringing me. They're bringing me fucking. Blu-ray Henry Rollins. Yes. Oh, God, he's yeah. the best in that show. Yeah. <laughs> it's about the only thing I've ever known Henry Rollins from, because I don't listen to Black Flag, really. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> so, yeah, my only experience of Henry Rollins is that one spoken word thing he's done that I watched one time, and his character as the Mad Bomber guy in Batman Beyond, and he's always Hell. great. <laughs> and yes. he was also in Return of the Joker. Oh, does he play? He plays the uh, one of the goons. Yeah, who like yeah. insta dies. <laughs> Thanks, Henry. Oh, that's right. That's the he's the one that dies immediately. <laughs> like five yeah. seconds of Rollins. I feel like the people that worked on Batman Beyond liked having his voice on the show, but didn't like working with him. So they always just gave him really small roles, and we're like, okay, you can leave now. <laughs> He's actually a very reasonable person. Is he? Yeah, yeah. He's a lovely he's, bloke. 
Yeah. Oh, I thought, I thought very, he was exactly a, as the persona that he portrays. No, he's, no. A, he's a great dude. He's, okay. he's a fantastic person. I was not aware. I yeah. mean, he did knock <laughs> himself out once, which always makes me laugh. Yeah. He kneed himself in the head because he was angry. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> no, I haven't. Yeah, done I was about that. to say, I don't think, no. I don't think anybody but Henry Rollins <laughs> could even do that. <laughs> um, oh, yes. Uh, also, uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, the reboot that they're doing for that is finally in production now. Uh, they just started production on it. Uh, sure, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, I. Go for it. Sorry. It's, a, it's a horror movie, I guess. <laughs> Um, I like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. I've only seen the the TV series. I have not seen the original film. I've heard it's funny, and I do want to. I just haven't found it yet. Like uh, browsing the VHS stores and such. But I'm sorry. How many things do they have to re- do? They have to remake every property that already exists. <laughs> yeah, ever. <right>? Yes. <laughs> no, I mean it's been a discussion for like the last decade. I or know, so, but. but- they're getting to the end now, right? Now no. they can start making new things? No. Did they, did they do remakes of remakes after this? No, I'm sure a Final Destination remake is on, on the horizon or something like that. As, something that's, like, relatively recent, you know? As Rich Evans said, there will in the future there will only be reboots, remakes, and Marvel movies. Oh, and sequels. <laughs> and sequels. Think about this, Isaac. There are kids driving now that were born after 9-11 happened. Right. So there's a whole generation who hasn't seen a whole bunch of stuff, so they're trying to tap into that. Yeah, I get that. You know? Why do you think these uh. live-action Disney remakes are a thing? Okay, yeah. actually, I can talk about that for a second, because I saw Lion King, and I actually really liked Lion King. But the fact, the reason I like Lion King is because it was almost frame for frame exactly... Like the animated one. So my question yeah. is, if it's that close to the original, why remake it? Money. I know, and I know Money? that's the end. Money, but, but still, it just irritates oh, me. Oh. Also, Seth Rogen can't sing. Well, we knew, we knew that. <laughs> uh, that was not a fucking surprise. Um, oh, you know what really is fucking horrible? You is know it what the cat's really trailer? is hor- Yes. It's the fucking cats trailer. Oh my god, have you seen have it? Have you seen that meme of it? The words like, "Hey mom, this is weird fucking cat at the door." Oh, hey no. mom, it's this weird fucking no, stray cat. But that's great. Yeah, no. Cats, yeah, no. It it is walk. pretty upsetting. Sonic Look. walked so cats could run. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same horror of oh, fuck. I fucking hate the cats trailer. To be fair, so, doesn't it look very, very similar to what they look like on Broadway? It's relatively no. similar. The, no, no, I mean, it's relatively similar. Yes, it is. I mean, it depends on what production in year you saw Cats, but Cats has always been bad. That's the thing. Is like, why would you adapt a, a play or a production that already, like, nobody is like, yes, let's make that into a fucking movie. Well, why didn't they just do it like fucking, you know, Aristocat style, where instead of making the weird anthropomorphic human cats, just make cats. Just make them cat cats? Yeah. Because that's not how like, the production is. The production is... We had to have cats. weird furry fucking Judy yes. Dench and furry Taylor Swift. I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, furry Idris Elba. Oh, uh, furry Idris Elba. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> like the fact that you can tell that it's the human faces. Yeah. I just, if you're going to go all the that- way with it... 
go all the fucking way with it. Don't make it this weird. And the fact like they got no between, nipples. They got no fucking weird. nipples. Yeah, the, and cats have like six nipples. Yeah. How are they gonna? <laughs> yeah. What? How? What are they gonna do during the sex scenes? It's just a nightmare. <laughs> I don't. And it's done by the same guy who did Les Mis, so of course it's a fucking. Oh, it's nightmare. gonna be terrible. I didn't know oh, that. Yeah, then it's it, gonna be it a shit is gonna show be then. terrible. I didn't know Taylor Swift was in it. So it's now like I have imagine Les Mis if there was like this weird like cast of Uncanny Valley like weird middle cat people. Uh, yeah, see, I, I it's like know. Sleepwalkers. It like... <laughs> if you ever saw that, Stephen no. uh, Clive, I think the... it's Stephen King Sleepwalkers, where they Is turn the in where... to cat people. Oh, I was thinking the one about the goblins that come up through the toilet when you're trying to shit. No, no. The... And then he. <laughs> oh, that's Dreamcatcher. Never mind. Oh yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. <laughs> nice. Sleepwalkers is about weird cat people, and it has sort of a similar uncanny valley furry thing, but it's practical effects, so it doesn't look as creepy. Yeah, I think maybe. And it's also about incest. Oh. <laughs> yeah, finish your sentence for, now. <laughs> thanks for interrupting. I think that's a better way to go. Oh. Yeah. Thanks for interrupting my sentence with that, you asshole. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think I know the production has never been that way, but to prevent this type of thing from happening, yeah, they should have just made it like an animated film, like a classic. Animated I know we film. like we went off the rails on news here, but I feel like this is a conversation we should have about why practical effects are, are like so important, True. and that we should keep them around, and the art form should be Mad kept alive. Max Fury Road fucking shows that to, everything is better. <laughs> to me, it seems like it would be much less money to do practical effects or at least it would be at least a comparable amount of money and it would look a lot better mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah i don't know like Cause, like think about the do you prefer the original teenage mutant ninja turtles or michael bay's teenage mutant but ninja you also turtles? have to consider like you know? the people that are involved in the production like the all-star mm. cast that's in this fucking movie that it's like they probably wouldn't put up with like all that makeup and stuff and all the time that it would take to put the like can you imagine Taylor Swift actually like sitting in makeup for like seven hours? Not like, for cats. For something that she actually no. cared about, probably. Maybe. But I don't think anyone gives a shit enough about cats. That's to what do, I'm saying. To, yeah. That was the, my whole point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my whole point about like, the whole thing. I think if they were making a movie that any of these actors it was like a passion project for them, then they'd be like, mm. Yeah, you know, like Michael Keaton in the original Batman. Like he hated wearing that suit and made him claustrophobic as shit and he couldn't move his head and stuff but that movie was awesome and he was willing to do it imagine your pa your passion project being cats though like, <laughs> oh, imagine it being like my thoughts on it is the design of the costumes like the the, the leg warmers and shit that's so iconic mm -hmm. like every you look at you know you see someone even cosplaying you know a cat's character and you may not be able to tell which cat it is but you can be like oh they're from cats this thing, you can't fucking tell what they are, other than a fucking nightmare. It is an abomination. Just, yeah. just put them in the original costumes, for fuck's sake. Just have the actors wear, like, the stage play costumes. <sighs> it would make more... It's actually kind of how I feel it, about the Lion King remake, too, is just do the stage production of the Lion King instead Anyway, <laughs> I think we're done with news, because yeah. I, I just don't want to talk about <laughs> fucking cats anymore. That's just making me, like... Lion King is also about cats. Oh, my God. Okay, now we're going to talk about Perfect Blue. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, bye. We're going to talk about the thing that hella confused me, because I watched it at, like, one in the morning. Nice. Tired. Nice. <laughs> Still confused.
Zach here. Just a quick reminder to follow us on social media. Uh, that would be at PC of the Dead on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Podcast of the Dead is our Facebook page. And then if you want to email us about either movie suggestions or just to talk, then you can reach us at podcastofthedead at gmail.com. If you want to contribute to the show in a monetary way and want to help us make better content in the future, then you can also go to our Patreon and contribute there. Uh, the easiest tier is just First Blood, which is a dollar a month. And that is patreon.com slash PC of the Dead. This week we're talking about something uh, deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I, I, I don't know we're really going to be able to, to cover the full scope of this movie like in this episode but we'll try to do as much as we can and basically we'll only be scratching the surface but you'll be able to get kind of the surface themes and uh maybe watch it yourself and kind of make your own inferences on it essentially this would be like uh, watch, uh, listening to three idiots try to dissect like crime and punishment by Do- oh, Dostoevsky or yeah. war and peace you know what i mean like Something- i could maybe <laughs> dissect crime and punishment there there's I want to preface this episode with saying any of the things I say aren't actually my opinion. <laughs> Stephen wrote all my notes and explained this to me because I'm just a dumb bitch. Yeah. I did just... I enjoyed it. What we're trying I to didn't say... understand a what, fucking thing. What we're trying to say is this is a deep movie and there's a lot of analysis that you can go into. Papers can be written on this movie. Mm. But this episode, mm. we're talking about Perfect Blue. Perfect Blue is an anime. It is an anime. Get some more anime. We've only done one other anime or uh, Japanese media. Which yeah, is we, 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 haven't Ito. Ito. we haven't done yet. any anime. This yet. is our first anime. Uh, but we did talk about uh, Junji Ito uh, on episode seven, which is still our biggest episode for whatever reason. It's this got, is like, where a... we go downhill because we're doing a fucking anime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everything after this is just anime, in fact. We only have anime planned. <laughs> so Perfect Perfect Blue um, was released in, uh, was it 96? I believe 96. so, yeah. I was actually looking yeah. at, look, trying to find that myself right now. Um, but yeah, was... 97. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this is like right starting the era of where the internet is starting to get uh, real big and where people are starting to understand the power of the internet, uh, which is, a, a, I guess, a, definitely a part of this movie, but it's a, a important thing to understand about, like, I guess the context of the, the film. Mm, the time period that it takes place in is very right. important. Yeah. Because... It's kind of ahead of its time in a way because it's exploring a lot of things that people have to deal with a lot going forward. And yeah. we don't even have a handle on now, but we have better ways of dealing with some of the right. themes now. I don't but it's it's <laughs> it's a very unique this this takes place before everything becomes all cyberpunk because I feel like we're right. close to the cyberpunk era now. Like we're living in a cyberpunk mm. age. I feel like but this is like postmodern is what this is. Yeah, right, exactly. I feel like um this this kind of introduced a lot of the ideas that we know about, like, the internet and, like, voyeurism and, and like, how those two things are linked together. Yeah. And then, like, the everybody just kind of ran with it after that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Serial Experiments Lane. I don't know if this was before or after. Um, Lane, I feel uh, like, was early 2000s. Check. Lane oh, was early it was 2000s. actually, yeah. Serial Experiments Lane was 98. 
So it was the year Lane. after this. So I feel like maybe Lane took some cues from this and kind of ran with it uh, as far as like the technology and like the all that sort of thing and kind of the. There is there is a lot of similar themes that are explored. Voyeurism is a, yeah. is definitely a theme that is explored, and mm. just the erosion of privacy overall through the internet. The erosion of reality. In, yeah, in and the notes, yeah, for sure. In the notes, Lane Lane is mentioned. Really? Yeah. See, yeah. yeah, full disclosure, Lane's my favorite anime of all time, and I've watched it many times, most of the times on Psychedelic Substances. Originally watched this movie on Psychedelic Substances. Well, there you go. Um, okay. Let, we're, we're, we've already kind of gone off the rails. That's just... okay. It's going to be a long <laughs> episode, guys. We're just letting you know now. It's going to be a long one. Let's talk about what the movie is first before we talk about anything else. So basically, the the premise of this movie is that there is a uh, it takes place in Japan, and there is a pop idol named Mima, I believe is her Mima. name. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and she's a member of a group, and she decides that she wants to be an actress because every musician wants to be an actor, and every actor wants to be a musician. No. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> like Russell Crowe, he has that great that oh, great, uh, that great m- music CD. Yeah, no, oh it's my great. God. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> now I'm just thinking of the episode of Tugger the Tugboat killing himself listening to Russell Crowe sing in South okay. Park. Moving on. Tugger! No, Tugger! Wow, okay. But it seems that Mima's a good little actress and she gets a, she starts getting bigger roles in this show she's in. Yes. As uh, far she star- as, and then she gets some weird hills of eyes looking at stalker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the, the the premise is that yeah. So she's being followed all the time uh, by this stalker, and she doesn't really know he's there at first. She starts to notice him later on. But uh, one of the big things that's a catalyst early on is a fan hands her a note and says, "Hey, I'm always looking at Mima's room," and she's like, "What the fuck does that mean?" At first, she thinks that means someone is actually like spying on her. But when she reads the note, her manager explains to her, "No, that's a URL." Don't you know what the internet is, you dumb asshole? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, something we should have said up top, which we will put in the episode description. There are some violent sexual assault and rape scenes in this, by the way. Just to let you know. Yes, Uh, we'll put that in the, we'll put a content warning Mm -hmm. on the episode and all that sort of stuff. But yes, there are some some very uh, disturbing depictions of that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. in this film. So let's, we'll just say that now and get it out of the way (laughs) early. Uh, But you you should have uh, already seen a content warning, but just in case you didn't, here it is. But anyway, uh, so when she finally learns how to use the internet, because what the fuck is your problem? Um, (laughs) She finds out that. This site called Mima's Room has like a day-by-day depiction of her daily activities. And it's stuff that nobody should know. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Like, it talks about her. She, she noticed all the bad things happened to her today after she got off the train left foot first. Normally, I like to get off the train with my right foot, and everything bad happened after that. She's like, how the fuck does anybody know that about me? I don't like, even know that about me. Who exactly. the fucking She's, milk I like, dude? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it can only be cow brand milk. It has to be. I, I'm allowed at least this much luxury. Is the line and you're like how who? And so she gets really freaked out by that. Uh, as along with this, she's also struggling with the fact that she's getting more and more. She's trying to deal with the fact that being an actress apparently means kind of selling yourself essentially, and like selling out in the sense of 
having to strip naked for photographers well, and having to get in like really sketchy scenes in in movies and stuff. And she's struggling with that, but puts on a good face on it, saying, "Oh, you know, I, I wanted to be an actress. This is just what actresses have to do." Yeah. Well, and then I mean, in her private moment, she's like, "Why the fuck?" Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it does have to do with the fact that she's a young woman. And yes, exactly. It, I mean, it would. I mean, if it were a guy, it wouldn't be it, the same at all, of course. It's but, also you know. sort of. Like the 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 like the concept of like being defined by a job because she's not she's not been in that situation as it were, mm-hmm. but professionally she feels the same sort of shame because that's her job that she has to be in those situations. It comes with the territory is how she feels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah that is that like is how no, she frames it. Yeah, there's yeah, no way around it. That's just how the industry is. Right. Mm. Um, but anyway, uh, people start getting murdered, though. Uh, and no one ever comes to her being like, hey, did you do this? Even though she has, like, bloody clothes of the murderer. Yeah. And no one ever thinks that she's a suspect, but she is, like, torturing herself internally about it. Right. And she starts getting visions of her pop idol self. Right. Like popping up left and right and it's basically torturing like it's, her. It's a different her, yeah. basically. And that plays in with what happens towards the end where, spoilers, we find out who the killer is and it turns out to be her manager who's idealizing her as a pop idol. Right. Because she used and to be a pop idol and she's wanting right. to relive those glory days. Right. Her, her mm, name is Rumi. Yeah, Rumi way. is fucked in the head. Right. I but anyway. The ghost form Zach Vegas. <laughs> Say what now? The, the, I, I called the ghost form Zach Bagans the entire time. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> um, but I mean it, that that is that is how it ends. But it's also important to know that she does actually have a stalker as well. Mm. Uh, that is like it's kind of a fake sort of thing. Like you think it's over when mm. because so the the stalker catches up with her. He doesn't have a name. We, the, he's just called it, they, they refer to him as Mister Me Mania. That's like his online Me. handle. Mm, yeah. And um, that's what Rumi refers to him as, because all throughout the movie, Rumi, as Mima, is communicating with the stalker, saying the real Mima is a traitor and an imposter, and tarnishing Mima's name, her name, even though it's Rumi talking to him. So he thinks that this, the real Mima, is a fake Mima. It's complicated. Yeah, it's very strange, and you don't understand... What's going on until the very end when Rumi reveals herself? Yeah, I mean, I, I basically, basically <laughs> the plot. The plot point that I'm trying to get to here is that that he catches up with the real Mima, and uh, she kills him with a hammer. Yes, it's it's amazing. It, it, yeah. It's exactly like the the child's play hammer scene because <laughs> it's yeah. just a little tiny hammer, and she's just like clock, and he's yeah. like, Ooh, I did. She, she knocks that fucker out, and yeah, he is. Uh, he is very gross looking. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the stalker is based on. No, 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 no. He's a stalker, and he's he's a rapist. True. He's gross looking. Okay. Isaac. Okay. He's based on a real dude. Is, he is. Hmm. Yeah. Yes, he is. Um. Again. Thanks, Bond. Um. <laughs> the the stalker is based on a guy called Miyazaki Sutamu. And uh, he was an infamous serial killer, rapist, and necrophiliac, who also happened to be a big dorky anime oh recluse. Mm-hmm. And his crimes and persona were literally attributed to 
the popularity cementing negative stereotypes of like otaku's and being shunned for the indulgence because it wasn't like work related. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being an otaku is still kind of it's a gray area thing in Japan. Like if if you're an otaku, that's one thing. People are still gonna really shit on you for it. But it's okay. If you're a casual anime person, everyone in Japan likes anime. They read manga on the train and stuff. It's what people hate is a hikikomori or a neat. That's what people right. are very discouraging about. Right. Oh, and uh, this this is just a side note, and this is probably already obvious by the things that we've already said, but uh, if you've uh, listened to our Godzilla episode or uh, the Junji Ito episode, we butcher all kinds of Japanese names in this, by the way. Uh, just to <laughs> yeah. let you know, we're very white. We do our best. Yeah. We do our absolute we try. best. I try. But we are just going to... We're going to say some more Japanese names, and some of them are probably In not, fact, right? let's go ahead and talk about the director now. I mean, that, I think he, he might be the most important piece of like information that you need to know going into this. Right. Uh, cause, and we've all seen a bit of his other work. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I I love the the piece of his work that you have seen, Chrissy. But <laughs> uh, the the director for this movie, his name is Satoshi Kon or Kon. I'm not entirely Kone. sure. Um, but uh, he actually passed away in 2010 of stomach cancer. So mm. that sucks. But or no, pancreatic cancer. I apologize. Oh, that's a yeah. Pancreatic cancers are really it's really one hard. One. It's yeah. one of the worst ones. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's just very aggressive. Yeah. But anyway, uh, he is well-known for a lot of different works. Perfect Blue wasn't his first work, but it's one of his most well-known. But he's also done a work called Paprika, which is a really mm-hmm. good film. And then um, an anime called Paranoia Agent, which I fucking adore. Um, he did an OVA of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, apparently, that Chrissy <laughs> has seen. <laughs> yeah, he did the... Um, there was like a weird 90s OVA that, like... It's it's easy-ish to find, but it's so fucking ugly looking. <laughs> Which I feel bad about, but it's just trying to translate that style of big, muscly boy in the 90s. <laughs> Didn't really work. I mean, Fist of the North Star did it well. There were some muscly oh, boys in there. Yeah. Fist of the North the Star. The JoJo OVA does, does it poorly. The costuming for the JoJo OVA. Uh, just, uh, um, but yeah, he did an episode. Yeah. <laughs> and then he also did... Oh, uh, the Pat Labor 2 movie, which is weird because Pat Labor 2 is a pretty straight Pat Labor movie, whereas the third one's the one about the giant river monster that gets into the sewer system. You'd think he'd have done that one. It hardly has anything to do with the labors at all. Anyway, <laughs> we're getting off track again. But anyway, um, his work and specifically Perfect Blue are very influential, not just in uh, Japanese culture, but um, a lot of Western writer, directors, filmmakers have used his work uh, heavily in other things. Uh, notably, the the Matrix was very heavily influenced by Perfect Blue and Paprika's sense of not having a firm grasp on reality, what's real, what's mm-hmm. not real, and kind of the butting up of technology against reality and stuff like that. Um, what's his name? Darren Aronofsky? Is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah, of, I think so. Um, the director, I think so. The director of Requiem for a Dream, Pi, and um, Black Swan, Black Swan mm-hmm. uh, has said that Khan's work has been very influential uh, in a lot of his things. He did go on record saying that even though Black Swan explores very similar themes, 
that Perfect Blue does. He has said that per- Black Swan is in no way related to Perfect Blue, which is kind of a cop out because we're very similar. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, I can see he Black might be Swan. doing a lie. <laughs> doing a lie. Yeah, just like Guy Ritchie and Quentin Tarantino said that neither of their work was influenced by each oh. other, even though they were exactly the same. Oh. Anyway, um, but you can actually see influence in Requiem for a Dream of uh, Perfect Blue because he actually uses the exact same uh, tub scene where uh, Mima or the... Um, oh, God. Um, I can't remember the actress's name in Requiem for a Dream. Oh, the- Jennifer Connelly. Uh, Jennifer Connelly's character, they're in the bathtub and they uh, are submerged, their head is submerged, and then they just scream... That is something that Aronofsky ripped directly from Perfect Blue, kind of as an homage. So his work has been widely seen, widely mm-hmm. used, and um, that should tell you a little bit of why this movie's so deep and so well regarded, and just that, or it should inform like the fact that it is. I guess didn't you didn't you say, say he it. he worked with the uh, the director of Akira? Yes. Oh yeah, or? he was also the an oh, apprentice at one point of the director. Of Akira, which is another name, um, <laughs> Katsuhiro Otomo, and um, you can definitely see that kind of influence and the similarities in their work in Akira. Yeah. Uh, I mean, ah, oh, sorry, in, in Paprika. Paprika is very similar to Akira in a lot of the imagery the, the and visuals. the themes and stuff. Yeah. So, I don't know. So again, <laughs> very cool dude. <laughs> that I'm going to sum it up with that because I feel like if I say any more, I'll go off the rails. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, this whole thing's going to go off the rails, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but let's let's first talk because normally this is the kind of an area where we get into characters. Let's say uh, characters, are we talk yeah. about actors because we're always a lot of the time we're talking about slasher films, and this, <laughs> this is not a slasher film. Uh, this is a very like we said deep film. And there's a lot of themes to cover so we're going to try and basically what we're going to do is we're going to try and cover it from like the most relatable and the easiest to kind of grasp to like the least easy to grasp and and kind of work that way down to uh try and maybe work ourselves into the deep territory and and then we'll see where we are from there (laughs) and we're not scholars y'all that's just one thing i want to preface it with so we might be missing some stuff but we're going to try to give this the good old college try. Of, like we uh, said, <laughs> essays could be written on this movie. Yeah. So we're we're just scratching the surface. But uh, one of the one of the most apparent themes of this whole thing, obviously, is because it has to do with a you know a stalker and just movies and idols and all that sort of stuff. Fandom and fanaticism is probably the most, I guess, uh, ubiquitous thing that everybody mm-hmm. can kind of relate to uh, about this movie and like how the the fandom affects us uh emotionally um and how it affects the people that we're fans of and like how they how they get these uh sorts of stalkers and and all that sort of thing and like how we put people on on pedestals and i mean they're literally called idols in japan these uh, these pop idols so i mean and i mean all of uh, and i'm just gonna speak directly to the audience for a second i mean everyone all of you have that person who you follow very closely and as soon as they do a movie that you don't like or as soon as they do something in their personal life that you don't like they're like i can't believe they've done this holy shit oh my god what the fuck what were they thinking i uh, i'm not gonna watch anything like you get really way too invested in a person forgetting that they are in fact a person a person yeah yeah Yeah, we all do it it's it's the 
that sort of worship culture, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember we all we all have our own gods, as it were. <laughs> yeah, the new gods. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the old gods. No, I remember uh, reading a tweet one time that was or that was something about is like you know all these people are talking about oh shit we might be about to go to war with North Korea or there might be new sanctions on blah 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 and but the first thing on everybody's mind but what does Taylor Swift have to say? Oh my you God. know what I mean? So there is a culture, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, I think Taylor Swift is, is a good one that's similar to what a uh, Japanese pop idol is regarded to right. because yeah. she has her whole Swifties thing around her. You know what I mean? There's, I mean, there's, uh, she has a gigantic following she does, that yeah. uh, is following like her personal struggles, her relationships, her everything. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And so we as a culture have decided it, it's okay to be that invested in a person and a personality. <laughs> right. Because that person isn't that personality necessarily. And, and it's interesting look at, to... Ca- you look at... To, to relate it to internet, and in the same way of, you know, with Pavlo, Pavlo with, with Mimania going into Mima, and, you know, doing all these things with Mima, look at the way that 12-year-olds follow people like Jeffree Star and James Charles and all these makeup people, you know, mm-hmm. all these YouTube personalities. Yeah, that that whole thing is really dangerous to get into. And like, I mean, how I mean, because you think of PewDiePie, for instance, like that whole how that whole thing went way off the fucking rails. uh, And just because he had he was like the number one YouTube channel uh, for forever, it seemed like. And he just he fucking took this whole group and it twisted this whole group into like these fucking horrible, basically white supremacists and uh, and how he it was just from fucking video games and like how this whole like it's like a cult of personality yeah. thing you know mm-hmm. uh especially when there's like yeah there's a big fandom you get cults of personality mm-hmm. you know and i think that that goes into a whole different direction too like talk, it does talk, but, uh, someone someone on the other because the what perfect blue really looks at is the the idol or the 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 star the the, the personality garnering all this attention just from doing what they're trying to do to further their career, just from, you know, singing, acting, whatever it is. And then the fans twist it the way that they want to. Mm. The whole PewDiePie thing and some of these other YouTubers and stuff like that, that's the personality knowingly twisting their fandom around. Yeah. You know what I mean? And And just, that's a whole different bag of nuts. Right. (laughs) Bag of nuts. (laughs) Big bag of nuts. Um, <laughs> Nutbag. <laughs> I mean, and, and there are obviously there are degrees to this. Of course, there's degrees and degrees upon degrees of how 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 much the person being idolized or being put on a pedestal is really influencing mm-hmm. it, or how much they're being influenced by the fans. You know, there's there's a back and forth. There's a symbiotic relationship there to some degree. And I mean, it's the same thing. Like when you when you look at cult leaders. For for instance, yeah. I, and, and you know, I don't really want to make that direct comparison, but in many cases, especially with larger fandoms, that is how it is. It's basically a cult leader, uh, where you have like basically everybody's trying to form themselves into that one person, like personality wise or mentally or success wise, you know, and then it becomes this, you know, cult of personality again, and it's it's just that whole thing where it's it is literally just a cult at some point, you know, mm. in mm. in degrees, of course, but it, it's it's that whole thing where it's just. How, <laughs> you know, how much do you really want to be like that person? And how much does that person want you to be like them? Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, 
I don't know. It, it is a really deep topic just in and of itself yeah. that we could do a whole episode on. But the, the way that it's portrayed most in the movie itself is that you have the the fan fans where they're following Mima's career and without knowing anything about what Mima's going through or whatever, they like you see when they're talking about her just as a pop star, she's like, Oh yeah, this is, she's great, she's the best, blah blah blah. So she's really good. As soon as she starts doing acting, everyone's like, oh, that was a bad move. Why did she try that? She's fucking stupid now. Blah, blah, blah. Everyone's still watching her. No one's not interested in her. But now they're all like, oh, fuck her. You and, know? and before we start going down this path, because I think this this will lead down to uh, maybe self-identity, mm. uh, let's talk about fandom like us versus Japan, because there is there's a big difference in like a cultural difference mm. there between us and Japan mm. as far as how we view fandom and, ha and how I mean there is a lot of similarities actually I, see, I was but, thinking that too is that I, it, yeah it's almost more similar than I initially because I started thinking about yeah. it and the Taylor Swift comparison and the comparison of like just how people re react to a lot of different celebrities we're not all that different honestly I think outwardly we're a little bit different I think when mm. it comes to like celebrity pageantry. I think when it comes to celebrity, there's a lot of things that we're similar on mm -hmm. as far as as far as because I mean, we we do the same sorts of things yeah, exactly. culturally. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, it's <laughs> hard to say. Like the culture of the culture of Japan very much became a consumer culture is what it is. Yes. And they, it, they kind of modeled itself oh, yeah. after the, the consumer culture of Japan kind of modeled itself after America. Yes. But they took it to a new degree. Oh yeah. So everything in Japan, it's not only is it consumer driven, but it's also very over the top and colorful. <laughs> so everything in Japan, it like in America, basically companies here are very much buy this. We don't care. Fuck you. And for whatever reason the American public is content with saying, "Sure. I love it. Let <laughs> me tweet about it in fact." In Japan, I feel like Everyone gets a little more involved and in not just saying, hey, fuck you, buy this, but saying, fucking buy this. Look how cool this shit yeah. is. Look how much fucking work we put into this. There are lights. There are fireworks. We have mascots, y'all. Yeah. We have fucking guys in suits that are also really stoked about this. Don't you like this? I like this. And the Japanese people are then like, yes, I think I do like this. Yeah. It's it's very much like uh, if we're talking about consumerism differences, Japan is really excited about their stuff. And America's more cavalier about it. Yeah, we're, like, we're cattle. More, we're cattle. We America, <laughs> America's more buy, eat, consume. Like, buy, consume, yeah. shit out another product. Yeah, no, we are we are basically cattle just being, like, herded in our different ways by corporations, by influencers, by all these different entities in our public sphere. Whereas Japan, I feel like there's... People who follow idols, people who follow celebrities, they actually are super, super invested and interested. And I mean, I'm not saying that we aren't, but I think we do it so we on our own, like, Vines or media or YouTube channels can get likes for liking this other person, and then it just trickles downhill from there. I don't know how to explain it, but I feel like we're more apathetic in our fandom. Let me put it that way. Our fandom and our brand loyalty. I think it depends. I think that it's just different. Yeah. I don't know if it's really that we're more apathetic. I think it's just a different type of Also, fandom. if you think hmm. about it, Japan's still got um, quite a few of their sort of old traditions and old ideals. So they, while they may, you know, 
have the open idea of yes be we're excited about these products they're still quite reserved in that way whereas america's just fucking balls out to the wall kind of thing yeah well yeah and i think th this is what i was talking about cultural differences i think that that's the key is because like in in japan conformity and like you know being a homogenous society is i think is a more widely held and upheld I ideal in japan than it is in america because america we you know the rebel spirit mm. you know like <laughs> We're, <laughs> we're the we're the the kind of the independent nature type people. So it's like when we find uh you know a fandom that we feel embodies that we kind of latch onto it. But it's not like it's not as organized. Let's say it's not there's not as much conformity yeah. to it. You know, it's not as it's not as homogenous as it would be in Japan because it, it's different ideals culturally. Mm. You know, I feel like that's the difference. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can see that. It's it's the way it's the way in which the fandom operates, not necessarily in the way that the fandom is is born or the way that it's expressed. Yeah, you know what I mean. Americans are more outwardly mean. Okay, <laughs> I mean, sure. Like the second <laughs> one of our brands or something doesn't do exactly what we want or expect, we just shit all over them, like vehemently. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, that was kind of that's kind of showing in Perfect Blue as far as like exactly. How, I, like, I mean, I feel know. like I don't know. Mm. I feel like you're just jaded of of the American consumerist system. Not that me, I'm not either. But I mean, I feel like you you have very much a bias. I do. You, <laughs> I so do. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure if you lived in Japan, you might have a similar bias towards that. You know what I mean? True. Like, I feel like you. You get you gotta kind of separate the bias out there and kind of really analyze it from a bird's eye view. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is it is upsetting to start thinking about it deeply and just how much we dwell. I just love Oreos, y'all. They're my favorite. Cookie. Yeah, oh my yeah. god! <laughs> if they change Oreos one more time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it was, I mean, if we're we're gonna go, That's... if we're gonna go there with it, yeah. I mean, we we just talk about the the Sonic movie. And how yeah, everybody was up in arms. Peak American culture, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and how, yeah, that whole thing where everybody was just in an uproar, and how much uproar uproars over things change things, like in a consumerist society like this, and like because the consumer is the one who, well, in certain ways, in, very, say, in very surface level aesthetic ways, influences. Uh, how things come out, but really there is no influence there as far as like what's actually going to happen. Yeah, you know no, what I mean? they, they, it's all kind of preordained, and anything that yeah, anything that they they put out is done for a purpose. Like yes. it's just <laughs> I I still believe that you're right about Sonic. Just like they they're not they they never had the intent to release the movie the way that it looks in the trailer. They're just going to remake him. Because they knew everyone would get pissed off, but it would get a lot of social media likes. Right. So. Yes. Exactly. Mm. That that was my yeah. theory, and I feel like I still stand by that yeah, theory. Yeah, I'm, 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 sure. I'm feeling that more and more every day because yeah. they know how social media works now. They've gotten under our skin, or we've let them under our skin with Facebook's like fucking terms of agreement. Yeah. That we've let them into yes. every facet we, of our we, lives. We live in an oligopoly at this point, yeah. where it's. I'm going yeah. to uh, pose you a question. Nah. If Perfect Blue was remade in sort of today's culture and today's society, 
We live in a society. <laughs> yes. You, we've tainted a whole word as a society. We've tainted the word society, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, do you feel that, like, the use of social media would be, like, a brain is doing the dumb bitch thing again. Um, basically, Perfect Blue said today, social media would play a bigger role than just, like, a forum called Mima's Room. Well, they it would, it would have to. I mean, it would have to just by default, you know? They, 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 it almost feels that it already exists, but it exists in the old school way. Through word of mouth of people talking. You know what I mean? Like, before social media, people just talked about stuff that they were interested in. Like, on the street corners, you know, reading the paper or whatever. And that's what you get. You get a lot of people in trains in this talking about, well, like, oh, she's doing this now. That's not her. That's, right. that's fucking weird. Yeah. So, basically, those scenes would just be supplemented by big comment boards. By a fucking Twitter thread. By yeah, a, exactly. By a forum. Yeah. Or, or a Reddit thread. Or a and, subreddit. I think mm. what you would get if Perfect Blue had the aspect of social media in it is what you don't see in this is you would get not just the fanaticism of a crazy murderer, but you would get the fanaticism of just people on the internet who are yeah. speaking besides behind the anonymity of the internet. Right. You would get like the the vehemence and the vitriol of just every comment section ever. Yes. That's yeah. one thing. And then Mima would have to read that. And see that everyone's calling her a fucking low down, dirty slut every like two like wow. comments. You know what I mean? Wow. No, I, no, I'm trying to mimic what they would say. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> the worst terms that you could call someone is what you see in any comment section. You could be watching a video about how the celebrity is playing with her dog, and there's gonna be a comment about how she's blank, and yeah. you can insert the worst word you want in blank. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, it's I terrible. do think I do think that that's a good question to ask and, and pose in kind of a, a nice thought experience experiment of like what would it be like uh now and i i don't know you know i mean it's, it's hard to say but yeah i think social media obviously would be just kind of an integral part of it really not even like not even a focused upon part it would just be something that's just part of it because it that's how it is in society now it's just it's mm. we don't even really talk about really I, I mean we talk about occasionally like maybe the intrusiveness of social media and how it's you know it's presenting our us as ourselves uh, as as we are and and really that 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 kind of leads into one of the things that we want to talk about is is um first like first of all self identity and mm -hmm. and how we how people view themselves and how uh how we kind of reconcile um social media and just like how we show our ourselves outwardly to people with the internal you know, and, and what we are like on the inside and what we want and what our aspirations are, you know, and that sort of thing, um, which kind of goes hand in hand with uh, our kind of performance, um, which is, you know, it's like what how we present ourselves to other people. That uh, quote that Stephen had about the, the whole like Marxist idea of capitalism being that you are your job, that kind of felt I yeah. felt like that that ties in with this. So you feel like you are irreparably tied to what you do and that defines you but then there's a whole other side of you that no one sees that's your personal self-identity yes but then there's also what you think other people see you as right you know what i mean yeah, i don't know how to exactly explain that but you see yourself one way like you could you, you know you you have your own vision of how you are as a person right 
but you inherently know that there is a way that other people see you and you don't really know for sure whether or not it's how you want to be seen or whether people view you a whole different way. Yeah, and it's a struggle. <laughs> and and to, to try and tie it back into the movie in some sort of way, I mean, a lot of part of, of what Mima's whole deal is, is is that internal struggle of, you know, is, is she making the right choices? Is she being led in a certain direction? Is this what she even really wants? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and how is she trying to reconcile who she is now with who she was as an idol? And like the things that she's having to do now to become what she supposedly wants you know and we talked about it how she she's basically trying to say you know internally this is just how the business is mm-hmm. this is just how the business is this is this is the way that it's supposed to go but then you know like having that sort of background doubt well also lingering you know well her dealing with that doubt and her dealing with her essentially shame of doing what she's doing even though she's saying, no, this is what actresses do. This is what's important for me to advance mm. my career. She still feels the shame of some of the more racy things that goes along with it. Because there is a graphic rape scene in this. That it's not a real rape scene. It's a rape scene that's being filmed for for a movie. For a movie. Um, but anyway, there's that. And But she does have to get naked for it. And then she, there's also a photographer that takes pictures of her for like some sort of Playboy-esque type photo shoot. Correct, yeah. And so both of these things are things that she tortures herself over, but at the same time has to sit there and say, no, this is just how it is. This is the industry. This is what I need to do in order to get ahead. So it's that splintering of her looking at herself and being upset and ashamed, but also looking at what she needs to do to get ahead that splinters her personality and creates this... Phantom Mima? I don't know what you want to Zach call... Zach Bacon's, but Mima. <laughs> okay, who's Zach Bacon's? I'm confused. He, he, he hunts ghosts. Oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another, another thing, sort of, with the self-identity thing, is... Can be related to the Hills of Eyes-looking motherfucker, which is her stalker, and how he cocoons himself within his own delusions, and his self-identity of being... The spokesperson for Mima, in a way. Yeah. Like, he's got this, like, delusion that he is the spokesperson for Mima. Mm-hmm. And he is... He is almost Mima himself. Yeah, he's the link between her and everybody else. Yeah, there's yeah. a scene the where he it, there's yeah. a scene where he's writing the post and he's actually speaking in her voice as he's typing the post. Yeah. So he mm-hmm. has the delusion that he, more than... The person he sees speaks for Mima because there's no way Mima would actually do any of these things or think any of these things. He knows her better than she knows herself. And, that, and that's always uh, that's kind of a trademark of stalkers is that they have these delusions of grandeur that they believe that they're more important in the person that they're stalking's lives than they actually are. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. a, that's a large part of I guess the whole psychology of it is 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 delusions of, of you know. Having a delusion of what role you really play in someone's life. Mm-hmm. And, and yet yeah. Mima's like never fucking even farted in his direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or knowingly um, farted in his direction. The right. only time that they, they have one piece of, they have like one piece of contact at the very beginning, which is when he stops the people that are interrupting her show. Mm. And she does look over at him and smile when they finally leave. At least you get that. Or that might be just his perception of what happened. 
by the way. You're That's not true. Entirely yeah. true. Because like, how often have you like saw an attractive person and you think they look over at you and you're just like, oh, they must have noticed me when they might have just been looking behind you or at the clock on the wall. You know what I mean? Right. Am I the, am I the only one? I don't know. No, 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 no. I know. Okay. I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, where you waving, at, where somebody's waving at you, and yeah. then you wave back, but really it's the person behind mm -hmm. you yeah, that they're that waving at. Yeah, and it's just this big awkward. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just, it's happened a lot to me, yeah. as you can probably tell. Um, but one of the other things that goes along with self identity, like I said, is 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 like the performance that we're putting on for people and how mm. we shape our personality to kind of attract people to us mm -hmm. you know what i mean like where you where you have where you're you're and we talk about this it's it's performative behavior especially when we're talking about uh you know communities that thrive on people being real you know what i mean uh like the lgbt communities and we talk about how performative behavior like people being you know like supportive of trans rights, for instance, but it's just performative. They're only doing it so that they look good in other people's eyes in the community, that sort of thing. Uh, and then we talk about like uh, virtue signaling, uh, which a lot of people have talked about recently about how you're just saying these things just because that's that's what you 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 think people want to hear. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. that's not actually like you should actually feel those things instead of just saying them. You know what I mean? I Every alt right shit bag calls anything, calls them, calls everything virtue signaling because they don't want to hear that people actually don't mind the fact that you know immigrant kids may have a better life in the states. <laughs> Right. Well, and it's also they just have a, funder, a fundamental misunderstanding of what virtue signaling means. Yeah. And the, what it is the best. <laughs> well, actually, the 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 one recent thing that I've heard virtue signaling used in was um, John Stewart shitting all over Rand Paul for blocking the nine eleven thing again. Mm -hmm. The nine eleven first responders bill went up for a vote, and one senator voted to let it pass unanimously because why not? Right, and at that point, Rand Paul stood up and was like, "Oh, uh, we have this deficit, and I don't think we should just pass any bill that's going to add like another million billion dollars to the deficit without some sort of debate." Blah blah blah. John Stewart fired back and said, "Okay, I don't understand why you're doing this weird conservative debt virtue signaling when you yeah. voted for the tax cut bill that's like put us kind of in the shitter right yeah. now, asshole. When this is something that these fucking people need." I'm sorry. I love, yeah, John, no, I love no, no. John Stewart and I love 9-11 first responders and that bill better fucking pass because it's annoying. But anyway, that's a good way to talk about virtue signaling in that any group can do it for any right. reason and it's fucked up. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is like, and I want to lead this into like virtue signaling in many cases is like, uh, you know, there's a dissonance there between what the person actually believes in what they're saying, you know, which mm -hmm. is, you know, it, which kind of leads into internal perception and what we we think about ourselves internally versus what we're actually saying and how our internal perception can really become, like I said, dissonant from what we actually are presenting ourselves as. Yeah. And sometimes if it, if the if the dissonance is so large that we can't reconcile the two, then that, that can cause issues mentally. You know what I mean? It's like where we have and that, you know, that's what we talk about uh, when we, when, you know, psychologists talk about like dissociation or they talk about uh, dysphoria or something like that. It's like, that's where you're, you're not 
you're not able to reconcile your outward image with your inward image, your inside image, your internal dialogue, basically. Um, which is kind of something that is sort of being explored here uh, in the sense that Mima is trying to say that, oh, this is how the business is. But internally, she's thinking, no, this is entirely wrong. There's no way this can be right. You know what I mean? Like, it's where she's she's saying that, I yes, I'll do these things because I know this will get me ahead. But there's no way that this is right, like, morally, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, I mean, you know it's, 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 she definitely, like I said, it splinters her personality. And basically, she can't interact with anyone after a certain point. Like, yeah. like she, they take her to see uh, the other members of Cham. I do love, I do love her, her idol group's name is Cham. Yeah. Sounds like some sort of food for pigs. I know that's or, Chum. Or like a Wham tribute. Oh, oh maybe, fine, okay. Shit. Wake me up! <laughs> go, go. <laughs> uh, but anyway i don't know um but yeah no she even tries to interact with them she like the manager takes her over to see her former group mates and she just sees ghost mima in there and can't even fucking like talk to them she just runs away right you know what i mean so basically if you if you it, your friends i think it, it, i thought that was normal say what <laughs> Isn't that what you do with your friends? I mean, that's all <laughs> run away screaming. From oh them? yeah, no. Yes. First yeah. thing I, when I when I see like a friend I haven't seen for a while, first thing I do is shit my pants. Oh, and yeah. then be like, hey, what's up? I and let you. the smell permeate the conversation Dear until God. they leave me, and I feel terrible. What again. is wrong with you? <laughs> uh, but I, I think this this you know an inability to like understand what's going on internally uh, is is kind of it, it brings in that trope that we've seen in a lot of media is the unreliable narrator thing where she she's not sure how how to feel anymore i guess mm-hmm. and then she she starts seeing the apparition essentially of her former self um, um the the, mm. the biggest part of the unreliable narrator in this movie actually uh, occurs kind of in a weird segment where it's kind of like a groundhog day thing where they basically keep showing it's one of three waking up shots of her mm-hmm. and she gets up and she does she does a scene for the 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 movie that she's that she's in or the TV series. I, I I'm not entirely. I cer- think cer- it's a series. I think I'm so too. I'm pretty sure Double Bind is, is yeah. actually a movie. I don't oh. really. I, I, I was just like, oh, the filming a thing. I wasn't entirely sure if it was a movie or I'm a series. I'm pretty sure either. Double Bind is a movie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because I thought people were talking about it initially and were like, oh yeah, that's the pits. And that actually, that line comes back. It's the pit. So I thought it was something that was being aired as they were showing it. Oh. So, like, and that, that's what I thought. the screenwriter was, was doing it per episode as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's so why I, I think, think it's a show. Yeah. Oh, okay. But anyway, um, so she gets up, she films a scene, and then she has, like, a weird vision of the stalker of Mr. Me Mania, like, out on, on, the, on the side of her eye or whatever while she's filming. Then it cuts back to her apartment, and it's the same waking up shot. Like, everything in the room is exactly the same. Right. And she wakes up, and she's eating dinner with... Or she's eating breakfast or dinner or something with Rumi, and she's like, Hey, did did yesterday actually happen? Did we, yeah. already, did we do this already? Yeah. So she starts losing big chunks of time mm-hmm. towards the middle of this, where just 
her psychosis is basically just getting to her and just eating her alive to a certain degree. Yes. Where it's just, yeah, her internal struggle of self-identity and being being one person on the outside and another thinking another thing on the inside. That just starts destroying her narrative. And this is something that is common in uh, Cohn's other works. Cone, con, did we? Cone. Cone. Okay, yeah. sorry. Uh, this is common in Paprika because the whole premise of that is it's a, it's around dreams. Inception drew from it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So you're not sure what's real and what's not in that movie. And in Paranoia Agent, Paranoia Agent very definitely grabs the idea of an unreliable narrator because it basically takes place in the psyche of an animator who created one thing that's really popular and now it is being pushed to create something new and right. better and isn't sure if she can. Mm-hmm. And that kind of dr- brings the whole anime into like this weird spiral of what's real, what's not, what's hallucination, what isn't, who's murdering, why is murdering, <laughs> what is murder? <laughs> Who, what, where, why, when. Yes. When, when murder. So, now? Um, it just... This movie does the, the whole unreliable narrator and the whole uh, un, like not sure what is reality and what's not reality very well because it does it both on the surface level with specifically Mr. Me Mania because he's being actively betrayed or duped by Rumi into believing the Mima that he sees isn't the real Mima and the Mima that he's talking to online is the real Mima. Right. So that is a very surface level what is real, what is not. But then you also have Mima's own internal struggle that ties the whole film together. So the whole, like I said, it's, I don't know of any other movie that does it as soundly as this. Yeah. It, it is a really mm-hmm. interesting way to do it. Uh, I, I can think of like Memento is similar in that you don't know what's real and what's not because yeah. he keeps losing his memories and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that and Inception was done by Nolan and so I don't know if he had seen this before he did Memento. Right. So I mean but that it's definitely a theme that is similar. Um I don't know there's just so much some, to this particular thing. There's some yeah. theory behind the whole sort of reality unreality thing. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. So um hit me with it. Theodore Adorno's simulacrum and the unreality of proctored images show the idea of show the ideas that are tied to capitalist markets, such as film industry, the idol industry, are imposing themselves on reality, which creates a society where reality and simulations of reality, like the idea of the idol being, you know, this untouchable human yeah. and this perfect human right. become indistinguishable. Well, and that's the thing we see with a lot of celebrity, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting that the idol industry specifically is really interesting in in Japan because it is it is like that sort of like they're on a pedestal and they're kind of manufactured to be a certain way. Um, and then like that's because we put them on a pedestal and because they're they're so ubiquitous in the culture that that's like the ideal and then we talk we talk about that i mean that's kind of like a like a real basic way to look at it but it's it's kind of how boy bands i mean the way that they do idols over there is kind of how boy bands were for us for a while well and they have boy bands though well what i mean no but but we don't really have that that much anymore like 
like we've been talking about Taylor Swift a lot, and she's you know she's a person that that is very popular over here right now and has a whole cult following and everything like that. But she, I mean, she's actually, you know, she's an artist. She actually writes music. She actually is a musician and stuff like that. Whereas in sync, back in the day, were kind of assimilated and put together as a capitalist machine to make money. The monkeys. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They're Let's another the really monkeys. good example. The monkeys is probably the best example. Of but this I really like that idea that uh, capitalism actually influences its own reality and like spins reality to its will in order to make money and to sway you into thinking one thing is real when it's not because i mean think about think about just body image Mm. yeah you know what i mean yeah i mean yeah body images (laughs) man that's a whole nother thing yeah i know that's a whole nother thing but i mean in order to scratch the surface of it it's like everyone has to be thin everyone has to look a certain way yeah Obviously, that's not the case. No one is going to no. be fucking size zero with like you know, it, it's it is not attainable, and nor should it be. Like humanity is built on our differences. No like, we one's all gonna have... look like Elle Woods all the time, and that's okay because Elle Woods can be that idea of a brilliant-looking human, but also... but yet, but yet you watch. I'll throw three things out in numerical order. Not numerical order. Alphabetical order. <laughs> Avengers. Uh, fucking... I don't have many other... Avengers and other things with beautiful people in them. Like, look at the look at the Avengers. Like, all of the... Like, except Any of the Marvel except stuff. Thor and later on, because they, well, make, it, and, it, they and, make him fat Thor, and, and it's great. And I feel like that's a commentary online a, a lot, is how, like, all the MCU people are all just, like, these idyllic... Yeah. Idyllic, of, cute of, white men who look the same. Exactly. And or they're all named super Chris. skinny white women who are voluptuous. Excuse and, uh, you. You know... Scarlett Johansson is a black Asian trans man. <laughs> oh, my God. Remember that. Also, did you say voluptuous? Because I'm pretty sure that's what you said. Yeah, I did. I meant voluptuous. What's what's the term for that? They have to have big boobs. Voluptuous. Buxom. Uh, No, I'm thinking buxom. Buxom. Yes. Buxom Buxom. is the term you're looking for. Yes. Voluptuous is like scrumptious and voluptuous put together. (laughs) It's a good term. I'm I'm gonna use it. I had to throw my phone across the room. I'm sorry. Voluptu- voluptuous. <laughs> I do. I love that. That's a great word. Um, but I had never thought about that before, actually, until one of Steven's notes now implanted the idea in my brain that yeah. capitalism like bends reality to its will. Yeah. But yeah, but you have an idea in your head. I don't care who you are of what perfection is and unfortunately it's something that's been fed to you right exactly mm. and that yeah. sucks <laughs> yeah, and yeah i know it is really upsetting to and think about it in why depth. the stalker's actions are a thing because he's had he gets this idea fed to him by rumi that mm-hmm. pop idol mima is tarnished by actress mima right and i used yeah. another steven note and <laughs> <laughs> as i said no, everything i, mean... I said but that's very that's very obvious, you know what I mean? That, mm. that that she is being tarnished and she's not worth your affection anymore. I'm the real one. I It's so deep. Like yeah, there's so it, much to get into there, but yeah, it's it is it, but no, I I do like lingering on this idea of capitalism making its own reality uh just because it is. I mean, you it, it is really upsetting to, be, to think about. Yeah. To be fair, 
any government and any social system is going to have to do that in order to function. There has to be something to work towards in order for you to keep working and not revolt. There should be an ideal. <laughs> yes, there should be an ideal, but there are like, you know, there are degrees of ideals. You know, it's you need to that ideal needs to be attainable, mm-hmm. I think, you know, in some some sense. It has to be it has to be attainable and it has to be universal. And mm-hmm. it can't be it can't apply to only certain people, which it does. All of this case, ties you know into I mean? the technology and voyeurism aspect as well, because capitalism is what um, has given us the ability, you know, gave the st- capitalism gave the stalker the ability to access the fucking internet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, true. And uh, let's just touch a little bit on technology in this. I mean, obviously, like we said at the, at the, the opening of this, that inter- this is like the tail end of the 90s, and this is where the internet's really starting to take hold of society and like where people are really understanding how to use it to their advantage. Yeah, it's great. The uh, Mima doesn't even know how to use a computer at the beginning. Like she yeah. is completely unaware of what the internet is or what a homepage is, and she gets embarrassed when Rumi tries to explain it to her, and she's like, "None of this is sinking in. I have no idea what you mean." <laughs> Think about that today. <laughs> Me with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Japan in the 90s as well had more home computers than like America yeah. did in like yeah. the 2000s. Oh, for sure. Yeah, they were much they were much uh quicker on the draw in that sense with all of the technology cuz I mean they had just come off an economic boom. Mm-hmm. Like the biggest economic boom of like ever. Yeah. Pretty much of any country ever they had just come off of that in the 80s. I vaguely remember my dad getting a computer in the late 90s. And we had, like, the worst. And the internet was just becoming a thing, so we had, like, the worst internet. Oh, my favorite... Where, like, one person could, like, maybe access it for five minutes. 97 was about the year that we, we got internet in my house. It's like, it, we got we had an IBM, and I was the only one that knew how to use it, even though I was only four years old. Uh, which um, is funny. <laughs> I, I have a pretty unique experience with it, because my dad always worked for either uh, a contractor to NASA or with NASA directly. And so we've had... I. Like some of my earliest memories as a child are with computers, but like, oh, yeah, like same. we had computers like from the very like I I don't know like we always had that and we always had internet like and so my dad's always been like a big tech dude. yeah like not a big tech dude in that sense but like you know when computers became big my dad kind of had to have one yeah. And he was in business anyway, so it made sense for mm-hmm. him. So I think that's interesting. So even we just talked about it. All of us from our from our earliest points always had were were pretty computer literate. Like yeah. that's that's just our generation. Yes. This movie takes place in a point where not everyone is. Yeah. So mm. and that's really interesting. So at this point, neither Mima nor I mean you can argue the stalker doesn't. No one really understands the the scope and the how important and influential what they're doing and using is right. when it comes to computers. Right. And I think I think the this movie is ahead of its time in its in its awareness of that. Mm-hmm. I think in in how they realize that oh now that everything is public on the internet, there anybody can see anything. You and know what I mean? Like anybody can put anything. Anybody can put anything. Mm-hmm. Anybody you know. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the really upsetting part. And it is you know we we start to get into like technological voyeurism, mm-hmm. and we get we get into internet voyeurism and and how just dangerous that whole thing is. And and I mean how we we kind of take it for granted now. I feel like you know how how would this play out? Let let another thought experiment. We did a, we did one of these earlier on. Let's do another one. How would this happen today? And it kind of does with Twitter accounts sometimes, where someone makes a Twitter account. For a celebrity. 
and then uses that as a megaphone to spout bullshit to tarnish that celebrity's name. Yeah, I, I how, mean, how would how would Mima's room play out today if we had someone? Oh shit! Let's talk. Oh, just trying to think of a celebrity. I feel, off the top I feel of my like head. putting it in that term specifically. Twitter, it would just be more trite. But no, no, I, that, that's what <laughs> I'm saying. Like Mima's room specifically. What if we had a website for? Let's say Idris Elba. We talked about Idris Elba earlier. What if they had Idris's room? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it'd be like fucking Mumsnet. What is Mumsnet? Uh, Mumsnet is like a mum forum in the UK, and it's used <laughs> to bash people that usually trans people. So oh. me, it, it seems like it'd be like that kind of thing where they go into way too much detail about something they don't know. You know. They don't know about, and then they're just like, "Yes, this is bad." Even though we are getting misinformation <laughs> on it, this is bad. It's e- idiots leading idiots well, type yeah. thing. But what I meant more specifically was, how would it work if someone was actually trying to impersonate a celebrity through a website online today? I feel like what they I mean, would find happened. it immediately. That's happened today. Yeah, Has I mean, really? they would probably figure it out really quickly because i mean the only way that you wouldn't is like some even if you're masking your ip address it would figure out who it is almost immediately and then you know reasons in in modus operandi whatever but mm. you know does that become a, is that an offense these days is what he's doing in in the movie perfect blue is that an actual uh litigatable it's, offense it's slander that would be slander i would say it would fall under slander or libel um, libel yeah i yeah. think libel would probably mm-hmm. be the correct term for yeah it. yeah and that would be li- libel or slander okay I just, it, it just, it, this definitely takes place in kind of that Wild West era of the internet where kind of oh, yeah. anything went and yeah. you could kind of do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> like you could have a GeoCities page that just said the most outrageous shit and that would it stay up to today. Everybody's phone numbers that <laughs> like live next to you. Like, I don't know. Like, it's like and the cops shit. wouldn't know how to prosecute right. or do anything about it because they don't know either because yeah. they're still of that previous generation. But anyway, this episode is running kind of long, so let's, uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to try and race through to the end here because there is a lot of stuff oh, that we man. Yeah, no, we about. had to cover a uh, lot. One, of the, one <laughs> of the things that we want to touch on real quick is that there was a book. Obviously, this is based on a book, uh, much like a lot of animes are based mm. on a light novel of some sort. Mm. The book was called uh, Perfect Blue Complete Metamorphosis. None of us have read it. <laughs> Um, but I do want to. I do want to say that it's supposedly, from what we know about it, uh, it was more of a horror story mm-hmm. rather than this being kind of a thriller. Uh, it, it is. It is a horror. It has movie. horror aspects. It has a lot of horror aspects, but this is more thriller than the mm-hmm. book we understand to be a horror. Movie, and another which, thing is, yeah. we do want to mention that um, originally this adaptation of Perfect Blue was meant to be a live action film. But due to an earthquake around the time of its production, it uh, did not get made that way, and its production was slashed in half, and so it turned into the anime that we know today. They eventually did make a live-action version of it in 2002. Um, It's apparently decent, uh, but I don't know if there's English subtitles for it. I don't know if it was ever uh, localized to America, so it might be hard to find. But apparently it sticks closer to the original source material than the anime did. So um, take that as you will, and like I said, if y'all can find it, that's awesome. I can't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's all we have to say about that. Uh, so <laughs> let's talk about some of our favorite moments. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, Chrissy, why don't you start? <laughs> <laughs> you can't use Steven's notes for this one. Yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm having to remember. I'm having to try and fucking remember. Um, I. Oh boy, I really, uh, I really did enjoy the um, like the way that she. The the way that you know, the <laughs> staged rape scene, and the way that she kills the stalker, the way that they sort of rhyme, and also I just like the way that she mm -hmm. kills the stalker. Cause, yeah, no, because he it, fucking yeah. tries to kill her multiple times, and she's just like whack. Yep. Right. Um, yeah, but I do, I, yeah, I do like, I mean, as, you know, upsetting as those two scenes are, I do like that they are, like, they go together, mm. like, in the mm. sense yeah, that they're, sure. they're, they're, like, mirrors of the each other. The same setting, the right. same, and similar positions and everything like that. Yeah. We didn't really talk about some things in this. We didn't talk about uh, how some of this stuff is a little more feminist uh, themes and how, like, uh, one of my favorite moments, uh, I was going to say, is uh, when Rumi, we don't know it's Rumi, it's a pizza guy, but the photographer that takes naked pictures of Mima, she stabs him in the dick with a fucking ice pick. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that is it. That she is, stabs him in the dick. So that's your favorite moment? Yeah, uh, no, not my favorite moment, but I was going to, oh my god, okay, never mind, okay, I won't delve into anything else. Favorite moment is totally when Rumi dies, when she's trying to pick up her wig and she just leans onto a piece of jagged glass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh man, it's my favorite that thing. Is upsetting. She just does it. Yeah. But she doesn't die down. though. She just she goes to the mental hospital. Yeah, she doesn't end up dying. She she just. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah okay, you're right. But anyway, yeah. I still love it. She's still trying to grab the wig. Bends down on a piece of jagged glass. Blood goes everywhere, and she gets up and like, oh shit, what I do? <laughs> <laughs> and then she gets. And then I think she gets hit by a car, right? Almost. Uh. Bus, yeah, I think. Oh she yeah, had... no, no, Mima pushes her out of the way. That's yeah, the that's right. I do no, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, my, that's my favorite moment because it's hilarious. Uh, mine's a little bit more uh, dark. Um, <laughs> I like the one where that my scene is where she's killing the photographer. Um, where oh, yeah. it look, where it looks like she's it, it's Mima killing the photographer, mm. even though we learn later that it is mm, Rumi. True. But I, it's just such a well framed scene, and like the way that it's presented is just so good. And you kind of feel like, like if you when you think it's Mima, you just like, hey. hell yeah, girl, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah the, the way that what I was going to say about the whole feminist aspect is the way that they're all killed is very much ties into that because she removes the eyes mm. out of everyone, so anyone that's seen her. You know what I mean? It's taken out because of reasons. And then, like I said, guy gets stabbed in the dick. My favorite stabbing in that scene, though, is when he's trying to pick up the phone. She just stabs the phone through his hand. Yeah. And it's like, whoa! Yeah. So you know jagged pieces of tiny phone are now in his hand, too. Ow. <laughs> um, so what's the final thoughts here? God damn, this was hard. This was <laughs> hard. No, the, <laughs> I think, no, I think we covered a lot of great stuff here, though. I think it's definitely our deepest episode that this we've is, ever done. I'm this a, is a really ass bitch, and <laughs> I will need to watch this a couple more times when I'm not tired and not fr not having to stress about work the next day. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. No, this but is it, definitely it's it's a deep movie. It's a movie that, like I said, it, it mirrors literature more than it does most other films that you're gonna watch. Uh, there's a lot of different themes to it. There's a lot of layers, just I'm like Shrek. Shrek is just deep. Uh, mm, 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 both of you, <laughs> both of you, shut up. 
I was about to say something really serious, and then both of you just fucking they, you shreked it. <laughs> uh, you shreked it all. You up. shreked it all up. <laughs> anyway, what I was gonna say, and this might be maybe a little controversial, but I, I think that. I feel like a lot of people will probably not enjoy this movie on the first watch. And I, th- mm-hmm. I say that only because it is hard to follow. It's a hard to follow film. Like you really have to maybe watch it a few times to really appreciate it. I think is, is the way I feel about it. Also, it can make you re- really uncomfortable. It can make you really uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not going to be for everybody. Let me mm-hmm. just put it that way. But it is, it is a fantastic film. It's very well put it, together, and it's very well... It has so many great themes, and it's so well tied together with itself. You should it's, watch I don't it, know. but know you're probably going to hate it. Kind of thing. Maybe yeah. the first time. I think, I, that, I think that there's definitely stuff here about multiple watchings. And I don't know what it, what it is. A lot of times, I am very much turned off by some of the themes that are explored in this, specifically rape. Yeah, I mean it's not actual. See, I get turned off when it's a movie that actually has a rape scene. In it. Mm. This yes. is crafted to where it's not really rape. It's like it's it's a part of the plot that she's not getting raped, but it appears that way. So I think the the fact that it's framed like that meant I wasn't immediately turned off of this movie when I first watched it. But it's well. still, yeah. And so you get that sense in there that he knows what he's doing is fucked up too. Right? And he doesn't want to be there. Yeah, there, there everyone's is, very uncomfortable. There's and an so, awareness there. Yeah, and so you as an audience member get to take a step back. It's like, oh, okay, I'm also uncomfortable. But they're uncomfortable, so this is all kind of okay, and it fits with the plot. Right. Mm. So don't get too turned off by that. Like I said, that's a pro- probably... There's a bug now. Oh, I hate it. There's <laughs> <laughs> a fly yeah. creeping its way towards us. Yeah, um, but that's probably the only reason why I didn't have big reservations when I first watched this film. But I can understand why many people yes. would. I think I think that is an important note for us to make. Is yes, there is a content warning here that we had to say at the beginning because of the content that's in it. But don't let that turn you off from watching it because it's it's approached differently than a lot of other media approaches it. I think it's approached in a very tactful way. Yeah, and it's not done frivolously. Right. It's like, done with very heavy significance mm-hmm. to what's happening like in the movie and everything like that. And just, I don't know, it's played very well, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. But anyway... I think that's all we got for this week. This was a, this was a hard one, y'all. Thank you for sticking with us. We really love you. Um, it's definitely one of our most heady episodes. Yeah, this is this isn't. Watch it three times, people. I I, I say that. Watch it. Watch. I would say three times is a good yeah. like a good metric. That's where I am right now, and I and I have a, a very deep love for this film and what it talks about. So, yeah. Anyway, it's um, a good film. Good. I have to go to work and cry now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, a message from work saying we're three people down. Oh my god! What the fuck? No one else wanted to cosplay? No, it's just people who have mysteriously taken sick. Mysteriously taken sick. Um, Well... Well, thanks that, for listening. On that somber note, uh, I'm sorry, Chrissy. Th- this whole episode <laughs> is fucking somber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a depressing episode, unfortunately. But, but we love you. We do love you. We'll talk Thank to you, you later, for guys. Thank you sticking through this episode. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, lads.